Proverbs 19 is where we are. So grab your Bibles. We're going to read for a little bit, then we'll come back and dive into some of this. And so if you're with me in verse 1, please say amen. amen. Oh, yeah, Miss Diana's here today. I heard you earlier. <laughs> amen, amen. Hey, it's the first day of the week. Yeah. Amen. Jesus, first, thing, first thing Jesus said was rejoice. All hell when he saw the ladies on, you know, and it was like, hey, because he had finished. Jesus was like, hey, I finished the heart lifting. It's over now. Amen. The cross is done. Now we are redeemed. Amen. Verse 1 says, better is the poor who walk in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he, and he sins who hastens with his feet. We'll get into that one. The foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. And listen, because that's going to be repeated. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness, here it is again, will not go unpunished. And he who speaks lies will perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. A foolish son is a ruin of his father, and the content contentions of a wife. Nobody in here say amen. If you... <laughs> If you say amen, we're going to deal with you at men's breakfast next week. <laughs> this is not the place to say amen. The contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And so, Father, we do thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've loved us and you've provided this place for us to gather. You've given us the, the strength in our legs, the air in our lungs, the ability to come here and gather this morning to worship you because you are God, you are King. And we thank you for that. And I pray that you would take away all of the things, Lord, that would hinder us from hearing what you would say to us today, Lord God, the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, the distractions from the room, Lord, push back the, the meddling influence of the enemy from us now, Lord God. I pray that you would silence devices, cause us to remember to silence devices, Lord that uh, we may hear what you would say to us, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. We love you, we thank you, and we surrender to that now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Um, now, you know it's bad if y'all got me praying about y'all turning off devices. Um, so please do that now. Um, and so verse 1, Proverbs 19, 
as we get ready to go in this. And we, we see a lot of things, some of them being repeated. Most of them at this point are being repeated um, as we've been going through the book of Proverbs and he's dealt with it from different angles. Solomon, the writer, being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we forget that Solomon was obviously the wisest man who ever lived because God gave him wisdom because he, you know, God said, ask whatever you like. And he asked for wisdom to lead God's people as opposed to riches and honor and glory and all that kind of stuff. And so God gave him wisdom and he, he received those other things along with it. Um, but he's writing. We have to remember he is not just the wisest. He's the most wealthy man. He, um, at this point, uh, his, his fame, his fame has gone throughout all the world. I mean, during his rule, um, there was prosperity within the kingdom of Israel. Um, during his rule, he, he created things, he invented things, he wrote things. Uh, the, the use of silver and gold and, uh, and many different types of utensils from serving to, to warfare and all of those things um, were abundant within the nation of Israel. And so it was a mighty thing. And so for us to begin to look at this and how he talks about poor people and rich people um, and all of this stuff and his heart uh, is being put out here as the king it's interesting for us to begin to fathom that we look at people today who are wealthy and, and have all of this kind of stuff and beyond the Elon Musk and all of those people who are wealthy but even the, the people who rule today um, and you know we don't really see that kind of stuff we don't see people whose hearts are for the Lord um, and instructing people in the direction of the Lord and so um, it's, a, it's interesting for us to look at these things in light of the writer Solomon being led by the Holy Spirit. And so these truths that we gain that he was given to his children, we grow from. The first one in verse 1, if you look at it with me again, it says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in his, uh, in his lips and is a fool. And so all the way through this, one thing that this king, this wealthy, famous king, continues to talk about is these contrasts between the fool and, and wise and all of these things as we look at it we see two contrasts in this verse we see the poor we see the fool we see one with integrity one with perverse lips and so it's very interesting to begin to think about that all the way through we see these things the first one um, is the, the the between the integrity and the perverse lips the integrity as opposed to one who is perverse the word integrity in the way that we think of it is one who lives a, a strong life of moral principles. We also use the word integrity to imply something that's made or constructed well and has integrity. You can hold up something with it. It's been put together very well. And, and all of that is implied here in the Hebrew, but the Hebrew word in implying all that really gets to this, this, this real point here of, of an innocence actually is what it means, an innocence, a simplicity uh, someone who is complete having a fullness is what the word actually means, which is very interesting. In other words, it's someone who is simple and harmless. Someone who is um, in their innocence means no one any harm just trying to do the right thing. You know, it kind of the flow of what Jesus says that we should be wise as serpents. But what, y'all? Harmless as doves. Um, and this is a refreshing quality to find in a person, isn't it? You know, my wife Lisa was that kind of person, meant no one any harm. You know, that's one of the things I loved about it. Just this, 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 this simpleness of, of desiring to please God is what it means. The completeness and the fullness aspect of the verse means a person who is complete in the Lord has a contentment in the Lord that satisfies them so that they are not seeking to defraud anybody else is what he's getting at. Isn't that amazing? 
Uh, that's the, the, the picture that's being painted through the use of the Hebrew. He who walks in his integrity. He who is simple and complete in the Lord in the sense that they mean no one any harm, not seeking to defraud anyone, someone who is walking upright before the Lord. The first place that is interesting, the first place this word was used was in the uh, Old Testament, Genesis 20. And it's not on the screens. I don't want you to turn there. Genesis 20, verse 5. I'm going to just tell you the story. It's one of those times when, when Abraham, we call him Father Abraham, don't we? He's the father of faith, we, we say. But there was a few times when he absolutely punked out. And this is one of them. When he was going through the land and he told Sarah to tell King Abimelech, tell him you're my sister. Because she was very beautiful. And that's crazy in and of itself. She's an old woman, yet she was so beautiful that this king wanted her in his harem. Kings normally choose younger women for their harem. And he chooses this older woman because she's very beautiful. And so uh, she went along with it in, in obedience to her husband and said, he's my brother. And, and so King Abimelech takes him into his harem. And a man doesn't take a woman into his harem for a trophy. He had plans. Okay, y'all understand? So in the middle of the night before he ever got to his plans... God came to King Abimelech in a dream, and I love the way the Lord handles this. God said to him, surely you are a dead man, <laughs> because this woman is another man's wife. I love that. Now, when we threaten, when humans, when we threaten people, we might say, I'm going to get you, I'm going to kill you. God doesn't do that. He says, surely you're a dead man, because God has the power to cause that to happen at any moment. So in the dream, there's this dialogue, and so King Abimelech said unto God, he says, didn't he say unto me, Genesis 20 verse 5 she is my sister and she even she herself said he is my brother in the integrity there's our, our word of my heart and innocence of my hands I've done this and God acknowledged that he did it in innocence and so he didn't kill him Abimelech gave Sarah back to Abraham but this is one of the first places it's used it's used in the sense of King Abimelech not meaning any harm here was doing something in innocence and integrity because um, he inquired of her so that's the first place the word is used very interesting that Solomon is putting this before us. So he who walks in his integrity, in a innocence even, in a fullness, completeness in God, meaning no one any harm, not trying to defraud anybody, this kind of person, even though he or she may be poor, this person is better than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And so this contrasts constantly. Now I want you to understand, Solomon is also bringing something before us here. Solomon is saying is that everyone who is poor is not someone who is a fool or has mismanaged things. It's not always the case is what he's getting at because he has a lot to say about the poor person. Um, he has a heart for the poor. If you look further with me into verse 17, it says, he who has pity notice on the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Same chapter, verse 17, he who has pity on the poor or he who, who regards the poor, he who gives to the poor actually lends to the Lord. I like the switch of language, he lends to the Lord, meaning that the Lord sees when we have pity on the poor and will repay. Now that's beautiful even of itself. So these are things that, that Solomon is, as king should be concerned about the poor because a king should regard the poor in their land. They should want to provide for the poor. We understand that, right? So his heart is for the poor. But you know, Solomon can't stand, and as we go through the text, as we have been, he can't stand the fool. And he doesn't like the lazy man. 
In fact, if you look at verse uh, 15, it says, laziness casts one into a deep sleep. Y'all catch that? All the way through. He can't stand the sluggard. He can't stand the lazy person. He doesn't like the fool. But yet the poor man who walks in his integrity, this is someone that should be regarded. And see, this is the heart of the Lord towards Israel. And it's good that the king of Israel realizes this because the kings of Israel were supposed to hand copy the law themselves. They were supposed to know the word of God. And so what we find is that if you look into scripture, you find that God never desired for people to be, uh, if you will, perpetually poor. Um, he desired that people would uh, 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 be provided for by the nation of Israel and by the people around him. And I'll get into that in a moment. And so here the contrast, someone's poor but walks in his integrity is better than, than anyone else, even someone who may be rich but has perverse lips, whose words are even wicked. Y'all catch that? That's the contrast there. And is a fool. Remember, what constitutes a fool? A fool is someone who does not want wisdom and does not want knowledge. Someone who rejects God and turns away from the instruction of God is a fool. We've seen that consistently. Verse 2, we'll come back to the thought. And verse 2 says, also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Good verse. I love this verse. It's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Um, in other words, God doesn't want you to be stupid or ignorant. It's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Now, in, in context, we're, we're, this is Solomon. He's writing to his children. Solomon is believing in the Lord, not perfect, but has, has reverence for the Lord. And he's writing to his children. He's writing to believers. We as believers take from this. It's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Really brings us to this thought. Listen, it is not good. Check this out. For a believer to be without the knowledge of the Holy One and an understanding of the Word of God. One of the most criminal things that could ever take place on planet Earth. And now you're going to say, come on, Pastor Kevin. But here it is. One of the most criminal things that can take place on planet Earth to me is for a born-again believer to go without a regular diet of the Word of God. Now I'm going to ask you a question, but nobody raise your hands. If this is you, don't raise your hand. Just, just be convicted right there in your seat, but don't raise your hands. How many of you haven't picked up your Bible since last Sunday when you were here with me? It's funny, sometimes I find Bibles around the church and all, you know. <laughs> um, this, you know, y'all leave them, but I understand from time to time uh, we all misplace our Bibles. But how many of you haven't dove into the Word of God since the last time you were here in the church man I need to challenge you today because that is uh, something that is going to leave you shipwrecked it's going to leave you spiritually anorexic and it's going to cause you to not be able to navigate this life and be victorious in the Lord um, you need to have a diet of the word of God and I will sound like a broken record because you'll hear me say this multiple times even today that you need to be in the word of God almost daily you should be meditating on the word of God. It's, it's, it's something that when you come here corporately, it's a blessing to come here and get it as we, we, are, we are called to not forsake the assembly and there's something special that takes place here. But the real growth, the real understanding, the real things that come is when you sit along with the Lord and you open your own Bible 
and you begin to dive in and you say, Lord, open this up to me. Show me your glory. Show me, show me the things that are for me. And that is that, that moment that the Holy Spirit will take from what you're reading and you'll speak right to what you're dealing with in your life in, in any given day, any given situation of life. God is faithful to do that. We're called to that. You know, we're, he's not making weak um, Christians who are dependent upon someone else to teach them the word of God. I hope you understand that. No, he's creating believers who can open the word and feast for themselves. There's a balance. And John says in 1 John that you don't always need someone to teach you, but the anointing that abides with you will teach you. Remember, the Bible says, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. Okay, so the balance is you should be feasting upon the word by yourself with the Lord every day. And then when you come into the house of the Lord, you get that extra stuff that just blesses it off, just tops it off. You know what I'm saying? It just put a little gravy on my, on my steak and potatoes, you know? That's Sunday morning. But, I've, you know, I'm already diving in and, and, and eating every day. And, and as I've been telling you with the things that I've been going through recently, this is real. This is what carries you through because it, we'll get into it in a moment. There's a real battle happening. There's a real battle happening. So if you don't open your word, you're like a soldier who went into war and forgot everything. Right. No weapon, no tools, no flashlights, no, no tent, no, no backpack, no nothing. Your gear, your map, your compass, you're just out there in, in, the, in the middle of a battlefield just getting beat up. That's what you're doing. If you're going through life like that, that's not what the Lord intended for you. No, he intended for you to be diving into the word. It is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Well, where do I gain knowledge? From the word of God. Because the PhDs are the fools, as I've been telling you, because they say there is no God. So knowledge comes from the word of God, not from the world. And you need to be in the word. You need to be feasting upon it like it's your lifeline because it actually is. Now, I want you to notice the second part of the verse. He sins who hastens with his feet. Now that really stood out to me. He sins who hastens with his feet because God has been teaching me through life that if I hasten into anything, I'm probably about to make a mistake or do something wrong, or at least I haven't properly evaluated. So he's called me to rush into nothing. Uh, I love that. Like I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. So everything else can wait. That's the way I look at life right now. I'm like, man, not, my destiny is already sealed. So everything else can wait as I get instructions from the Lord because the Bible tells us in the New Testament, y'all know Paul talking to the Philippians says, be anxious for what, y'all? Absolutely nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. There's a guarding when I go before the Lord in prayer before I do anything. You ain't got to rush for nothing. The only things you got to do is live until you go to be with the Lord, but you ain't got to rush for anybody. You need to take everything before the Lord. Don't hasten into things. And see, this is something that we need to be very careful with because often when we get anxious for something and we want to rush for something, it's because of our own carnal desires that are in us that we haven't learned how to check. And we need to be careful with that. James talks about that. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, he's tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. I love that. God does not tempt. He tests, but he doesn't tempt. So verse 14 says, but each one is tempted, check this out, when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. 
And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown. Y'all know these verses brings forth death. And I love this. So here's the issue. We have desires. We have strong desires and even a desire for something that is actually good for us that becomes too much of a strong desire can be a snare uh, that can entice you whether by your own flesh or the enemy and lead you in the direction that you don't need to go focus on the thing you shouldn't be focused on and that can lead you into sin and that leads to what death so we are even called by Christians to check our desires did y'all know that you may want something it may be good but it may not be the timing or the way that God wants to provide it and one reason is that God doesn't want you to be an idolatry he doesn't want us to be an idolatry in any way and he doesn't want us to be given over to something that will destroy us even if it's a good thing it can destroy us if we make it too big too much of a focus in our hearts and in our minds so he's trying to say no 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 come back over here and because look the reality is God knows how to give us the things that we need and we're going to be more blessed when we follow his plan amen that's why Galatians excuse me 524 says and those who are Christ raise your hand if you are Christ okay have crucified the flesh with its passions and its what whoa we've crucified it we've checked those desires I hope you can truly say amen are you checking those desires are you giving them to Christ how do we do that because here's here's the crazy thing we're going to find out in a moment well you know what we'll dive on into it Romans he tells us how in Romans chapter 8 I'm gonna put it on the screen so you can just take notes and focus all right, Romans 8, 5 says, for those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. So pause for a moment. If your mind is constantly focused on your own desires, your own strong desires, the, the things of this life that you are desiring and giving over to, if that's consuming your thoughts in your mind, if that's the majority of it, then what Paul is saying is you are a carnal Christian. And if you are carnal, you're not pleasing God. Okay? So what do we do then? Well, he tells us in the next part of that verse, he says, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, meaning that they are actually setting their minds on the things of the spirit. Is that actually what he's saying? Yes, because Colossians 3, 2 on the screen will help solidify that. When he says, set your minds on the things above, not the things on earth. So when you go look at that in your own time. That's a really good chapter. So we are called to set our minds on the things that are there where our Lord Jesus is and, and, and be heavenly minded. Isn't that wonderful? There are people who say that if you're too heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. They lie to you. Because that's not what scripture says. Scripture says set your mind on heavenly things that you may be able to walk and navigate and put things in perspective and not be overtaken by the desires of your flesh hastening into things rushing things and not considering the things of God and being patient and waiting on the Lord to do the things or provide the things that you need um, Psalm 37 verse 4 here's one we love delight yourself in the Lord most of y'all can finish it and he'll what man that is like you know whatever your favorite dessert is that's what that verse is like isn't it it's amazing oh my lord delight yourself in the lord to give you the desires of your heart it almost sounds like you just make yourself happy in the lord that's the way i used to think when i first heard it and he'll bless you he'll give you what you what you want is the way a lot of people hear it let's put it in context 
So Psalm 37, but let's back up to verse 3 and read down through verse 5, where it actually says, Psalm 37, 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his, his faithfulness. Dwell in the land, meaning don't go out. Don't go trusting in the Egyptians and don't go looking for the world. Dwell in the land. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. In other words, if you, if you begin to dig in even more, no, it's trusting in him. It's waiting on him. It's surrendering your life and your plans and your desires to the Lord. And then he'll actually literally change the desires of your heart. He'll bring them into conformity to his will and to his purpose and to his plan that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that you don't give yourself over to the things of the flesh. So the battle then becomes, how do I set my mind on the things that are in heaven? Well, it comes right back to the fact that it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. It's not good for you to not be in the word of God. It's not good for you to just focus on the things of the world because then you are operating as a carnal Christian and a carnal Christian is a soldier without weapons who's going to get their butt kicked by Tuesday. Maybe by Sunday night. Even though they did go to church on Sunday morning. They're not equipping themselves. They're not they're not uh, surrendering to the Lord. They're not trusting in the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. They're not, their minds are set on earthly things. And if that's you, you are going to fail. But if you want to be victorious, then set your mind on the things of the Lord. Don't rush into anything. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Um, you know, uh, what does it say in, back in chapter 3, verse 5? It says, in all, your, all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct our paths. Amen? He needs to conform our will, our desires to his own. And in order for that to happen, we need to understand that. Hey, look, if you're going to go to the gym this week and work out, and if you're going to eat nutritiously for your body, if you're going to see your financial advisor, if you're going to talk to your, I mean, all these things that we do, we're planning, we're trying to get things right. Well, then your spiritual advisor, if you will, <laughs> your pastor, he's given you the, the things that you need to do in order to be spiritually victorious this week in your life. And it ain't, it ain't whatever else the world is saying. It's, you know, there's football, there's TV, there's all these things that we, there's so many things. You need to open your Bible. You need to open it tonight. You need to open it tomorrow. As I always challenge you, why are you going to go into the world where Satan is loose on Monday morning before you get back into your word and spend some time with the Lord in prayer? There's, look, the church is huge worldwide. We understand that. But the Lord Jesus has divided his church into little flocks, if you will. Okay? This congregation is one of those. So I can't speak for the flock down the, down the road. But here in this flock, that's the challenge. That's the challenge he's given me to put before you so that we can be strong, that we can be victorious, and we can do the things that he's called us to do. Okay? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Get into your word. Verse 3. Let's keep going. Verse 3 says... The foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. I, I kind of like that verse. Um, Eliot puts it this way. A man's own self-will overturns his way, stops his progress, whether in temporal or spiritual matters. And then instead of blaming himself, he or his heart begins to fret against the Lord. In other words, uh, a man in his foolishness has gone his own way 
And when it doesn't work out and when times gets difficult, he then turns and blames the Lord and, and kind of wrestles with him. That's what it's actually saying. But then in, in contrast, a man who surrenders to the Lord will see the Lord work mightily in his life and he'll praise the Lord. And so this is something we need to remember. All the way back in Proverbs 1, 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools hate knowledge and understanding. That's what it says. You know what? Even Revelation 6 15. Let me read you that really quick. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15 is the epitome of this in my opinion. In the book of Revelation chapter 6 the tribulation has begun. Verse 15 says and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the, the, the uh, uh, commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb which is kind of hilarious in a sense you know nobody's ever seen a wrathful lamb um, but they're referring of course is referring to Jesus Christ and if you notice in those verses it, it's all segments of life not just rich and powerful people but poor people slaves and, and prisoners they all said the same thing what do they realize at that moment they realize the tribulation has begun they recognize the wrath of God is now being if you will coming upon the earth at the very beginning of the tribulation is seven years of wrath in the sense of God has removed his hand of protection he is allowing all kinds of things to begin to unfold on the earth and half the population dies in the first half of the tribulation so God's wrath is being poured out and yet people still refuse to repent and turn to the Lord isn't that amazing and we live in a time look here's what's crazy about that we live in a time now where we have wars and rumors of wars Russia just tested a, a hypersonic missile into our waters <laughs> you know just testing stuff they say you know Iran is, is you know getting close to the weapons so we got wars we got rumors of wars going on we have pestilences and plagues in various places and stuff all kind of foolishness happening as we're just approaching just like the Bible said we would be approaching the, the last days and yet with that men in their foolishness will fret against the Lord and, and it, in a minimum of four billion people will die in three and a half years. Minimum, I say a minimum because we're at about eight billion people on the planet now. So, so if that happens soon, a minimum of four billion people will die in three and a half years because they fret against the Lord, you know. So, you know, it's interesting just to look at verses like this. Let's keep going. Verse four, y'all doing all right? Verse four says, now we're going to get into some stuff. Verse four, verse six, and verse seven kind of go together we'll come back to verse five verse four says wealth makes many friends but the poor is separated from his friends now these things kind of go along with what Jesus said in the, in the gospels when he talked about the prodigal son you remember he he went out he took his inheritance early he squandered it y'all remember that and he had everybody around him while he had the money to finance the party and then he kept the alcohol coming and he kept the partying and the music and the whatever else going on and when he ran out they ran out he found himself eating the slop that they were feeding to the to the pigs and this is Solomon is telling his children this because he wants us to think about this wealth makes many friends yeah they come around when you got a little money they find a way in you know they come across your TV screen they come through your mailbox everybody's after you I mean it's like it's, it's the sharks are out you know um, and now the world is so connected electronically that everybody knows what you're doing 
they're going down to the courthouse. They're looking at deeds and stuff like that. They know what kind of activity that you are engaged in. You know, you come into an inheritance, you get a refund, something happens. They already know. So they're trying to get it. You know, everybody's coming. People hang around when they see you're doing well. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. It's very interesting. Um, really, the poor man doesn't have much, as much to worry about then because they're not, they're not after him. But notice in verse, uh, verse 6 where it says, many entreat the favor of nobility. In other words, everybody wants to talk to those in charge, those who have position, those who have authority. They, they want to entreat them. They want to be at, uh, at their feet, if you will. And every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. Okay, but notice in verse 7, all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do friends go far from him and he may pursue them with words yet they abandon him and it's very interesting when we began to think about all of these things now God God has always desired that society that humanity would help the poor and aid the poor um, and even the Hebrew here for poor you can you can look into and it translates not just poor but it also means weak meaning someone who who is weak from a health perspective even or, or whatever the case may be they lack strength God's heart, his desire has always been that humanity would love and minister to itself in this way. Deuteronomy 15, 7, the law states that if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, notice the language says, you shall not harden your heart nor shut up your hand from your poor brethren is what Deuteronomy 15 7 says in other words God is saying I gave you the land I've given you this life do not harden your heart against your brethren but look after them why should we look after those who are poor those who are sick because they are made in the image of our creator and so likewise just like we are made in his image they belong to him and he has a heart for them the problem is man's sinful nature and wickedness um, it, it prevents him from doing these very things. And so now, in this age that we live in, it's being fulfilled by the Spirit of God through the church. You know, man can't keep the law, but you know how we do fulfill the law? Through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, which governs our heart, which leads us into love, which leads us into having a desire to, to bless and do things for others. We see that the church in the last 2,000 years has been the, the institution that's, uh, that's fed the poor, clothed the naked, built schools, built hospitals for the last 2,000 years, doing more humanitarian work than the, the governments of the world could ever even imagine doing because of the love of Christ that's within us. And so what this means then is that we have to consider, we have to regard the poor. Remember the verse we looked at earlier, verse 17? He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. Did y'all see that? In other words, God is the one who repays. So here's the thing. God desires, also in the law, remember, Israel was supposed to every seven years would be the year of release. So everybody that was a slave, everybody that was poor, everything would get reset. Nobody would be constantly in debt and constantly in prison and all this kind of stuff. The year Jubilee would come where things would, would reset because that's not God's heart. But we live in a fallen world where, you know, the system of the world literally enslaves people in the system of the world that we live in. But we, those who are born of the Spirit of God, should see things differently. 
And so what happens is we have to be careful not to let the, the sinfulness and the wickedness of man cause our hearts to get hardened against the poor. Yes, we have to be wise. You shouldn't give cash money to somebody who's going to go and basically, you know, shoot heroin into their arms with it. And so we are called to be wise, but we're also not called to harden our hearts or shut up our hand from the poor. Um, we should always be mindful of that and allow the Lord to work through us because at the end of the day, the Lord is the one who knows all. He knows the heart of everyone and the Lord is the one who repays. And what you desire is for poor people when it's all said and done to be able to say when they come to their senses and, and they hear the gospel to remember that it was Christ in their times of difficulty that ministered to them through various uh, people within the church. And so, and whenever I give somebody something, by the way, I always tell them, this is coming from Jesus Christ. I want them to know where it came from. It all came from him. I ain't got nothing that he didn't give me. So this is from the Lord Jesus. And that's the way I'll, I'll do it. And, uh, and so we need to be mindful of these things. He also wants us to be wise and understand um, that everybody is not your friend. I imagine as a parent, Solomon as a parent, this is what he's trying to get his kids to understand. Everybody's not your friend. Y'all are the children of a king, he would say to them. And, and so people will, will pump your head up and want to be around you in order to take advantage of you. So therefore, we have to remember that, well, wait a minute. I'm a steward over the things that have been put within my hands anyway. So it's not mine. It's the Lord's. Amen. So therefore, I'm a steward over it. So it doesn't matter who comes at me from which angle. It's God's. And I got to manage it the way he wants me to manage it. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you say to me. This is why, you know, I don't I don't deal with salesmen that are high pressure that, you know, you know, they knock on your door. They're selling something. It sounds like a great deal, but you got to make a decision today. So whenever that's the case, I always say, well, no, even if it's the best thing I've ever heard, I must say no. Because my personal pre principle is that I live by, and, and now I see it in the word of God, is, is he sins who hastens with his feet. And I ain't going to be enticed into anything without talking to the Lord first. So if your deal is so good, and I, and I test them too. I say, are you saying that if I want to think about this tonight, there's no way possible that I could call you and have this conversation tomorrow? <laughs> really? There's no way that can happen? No, it has to be today. Well, then I'm sorry. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. You know, I got to go pray first. I got to look at some stuff. I got to look at some numbers. And I'm like, Lord, is this good? Because if it's going to save the household money, I need to maybe consider it. You know, but let me, let me throw you with this too. They're not saving you money if they're getting you to spend money that you weren't intending to spend anyway. <laughs> That's a lie from the enemy. You think you're saving. No, they just cause you to spend money. And they just, they just making you think you're spending less than what you should be spending, but you're spending more than you were planning to spend. So it's not a good deal. If you weren't looking to spend the money, then it's not a good deal, no matter how much of a deal they're giving you, man. This is 50 cent on a dollar. Yeah, but I wasn't planning to spend 50 cent today. <laughs> so I got to say no, you know, because I'm a steward of the things of God. And see, when we, when we turn our heart to God, God gives wisdom. Amen. All right, so we covered four, six, and seven, but back in verse five, now verse five, you got to pay attention to because he repeats it. Verse five, a false witness will not go unpunished. He who speaks lies will not escape. Whoa, and then we're going to that, see that again. Look at verse nine, a false witness will not go unpunished. He repeats it, and he who speaks lies, this time he says, will perish. And the first one will not escape. Well, what's the result? If you ain't going to escape, you're going to perish. Wait a minute. 
So he's saying to us, believer, that we don't want to be a false witness. We want to be a true witness as it relates to things that we see and we, and we, we say, as well as how we represent the Lord as well. Amen. And being a witness. So, so you can be a false witness tomorrow by saying you're a Christian at work um, and then coming in late and leaving early and taking advantage of your employer. You're being a false witness. That's not good either, is it? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we see this thing being spoken to us and we need to take it to heart. We don't need to dismiss it like, oh, well, this is only for the, for the wicked people of the world. Solomon was talking to his children, though. And yes, it is for the wicked people of the world. It does mean that they won't uh, go and punish and they will not escape and they will perish because, yes, they're going to go into to everlasting darkness if they don't repent. But for the believer, and that's who I'm speaking to this morning, God is also saying you need to be careful to be a true witness. You know, and the beautiful thing about being a witness of Christ is you don't have to be perfect. You just have to take opportunity when you mess up to repent openly to those who saw you mess up so that you can say, I, I, I sinned against the Lord. I shouldn't have done that. Because then they can see you have a fear of the Lord. Amen. You see that? Um, and so there's so many ways that you can look at this. We have to move on. Verse 8. Y'all doing all right? Verse 8 says, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. And he who keeps understanding will find good. Now, this is good, Law. We love this verse because verse 2 says it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And verse 8 says he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. And so how do you love? How do you, how do you nourish your own soul to get knowledge, to get understanding, to get wisdom? Where is it found? Word. word of God. If you love your own soul, you need to pour God's word into it. God's word is powerful. You know, Hebrew says it's powerful, sharp, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between um, the, the, the carnal and the spiritual, is the discerner of the motives and intents of the heart. That's all good for us. I like the fact that it's a discerner of the motives and intents of the heart because we can lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves, but when we get in the Word of God, it exposes even the lie we're trying to tell ourselves for what it is like, oh, snap, Lord, you, you just caught me right there in the middle of that and expose it. That's why I love God's Word. As I get into God's word and realize that my thinking's not right. I'm seeing things the wrong way. You're, 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 the people around you that you fellowship with can try to tell you and you can ignore them because you don't want anybody to tell you anything. Then you get alone with the word of God and then you look into it and then it exposes the very thing that you're trying to hide from because it's powerful. This is why we need it in our lives. Amen. We understand that? And it, it's, it, James calls it a mirror. Uh, that we look into and we see the blemishes in our own life when we look into the law of the word of God. So he who gets wisdom loves his own soul and he who keeps understanding will find good. This is what God desires for us. We've covered verse nine. Verse 10 says, luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. And there's a contrast there. You wouldn't put the servant over princes. That's probably not going to go well. There have been studies of people who who started out at the bottom and then they become they become the ruler and a lot of times it's disastrous because they don't know how to manage the things that they're now over because they haven't been trained to manage those things a good modern uh, way of looking at that is if you look at um, young 20 year old 19 year old athletes that sign 20 million dollar contracts then they go broke 
they have no wisdom or someone who is a, it doesn't know how to manage money and then they hit the lottery and they become wealthy and then they go broke again because they've never been trained in how to manage those things. They don't have the knowledge, the understanding to handle those things. And so this is the same thing here. Luxury is not fitting for a fool because a fool is going to destroy luxury. It's not going to manage it properly. It's not going to be a steward over it. And there's so many different ways you can, you can look at that. You know, God is in the process of training, discipling people who are stewards over time, over resources, over the lives of the people who are around them so that he can strengthen us and trust us to be stewards of the things that he wants to pour into our lives so that we can properly manage those things and be conduits for, uh, for the things that God wants to do with us. And that's the reality of it. Uh, verse 11, a few more of these. Y'all got time for a couple more? The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. I like this verse. As we mature in the Lord, we, um, you can see our discretion in the fact that we are slow to anger. We're not as quick to lash out anymore. Um, we become... Uh, we're wiser. You even see that in nature. If uh, if you come across a, a copperhead, for instance, um, in out in your yard, uh, the the most dangerous copperhead is the baby one, because the, the the one that's older understands that he also has predators. So if he strikes at you, it's only if he feels threatened, and if he bites you, he's only going to inject enough venom to cause you to realize that something's wrong and I need to get away. He's gonna, he knows how to reserve some of his venom. The baby copperhead doesn't know how to do that. So when he strikes, he's injecting everything he has at once because he he's not mature. He can't manage it. And so now he's out of venom. So he leaves you and gets eaten by something. You know, he has nothing to protect himself with. So even in nature, we begin to see that there's, there's wisdom in all of these things. So as a mature believer in discretion, I want to be slow to anger because I've learned by now that every time I'm quick to anger, I am going to hurt someone, embarrass myself, make a mess. It never goes well. You know, the Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we should be slow to wrath. And so... And in that maturity also comes this desire, check this out, his glory, meaning that he actually likes, he or she, to be able to overlook a transgression. What does that mean? Well, as a young Christian, we want to call out everybody's sin until we realize how sinful we can be and how gracious and forgiving the Lord can be. Amen. Now we're looking for an opportunity to restore the other person to be able to overlook their transgression to cause them to grow in the Lord. Because we realize this is what they need because this is how he is with me. You understand that? So as we're maturing, these are the things that we begin to learn and we begin to operate differently. Hey, I don't want to expose your sin. I don't want to crush you because you're in sin. I, no, I want to come alongside and help you now because I want to see you grow out of that and, and get away from that and be strong in the Lord. Because when you walk with the Lord, the one thing you know is that one day all of this is behind us. And when we get there, it won't matter. So let's, let's strengthen our brothers and sisters. You know what Jesus told Peter? He said, look, because Peter didn't want to listen. You're going to deny me. You know, you're going to run away in your, in your shame and embarrassment. But when I've restored you, strengthen your brothers. That's what he said to him. He said, you're going to mess up. I already know, Peter. Peter didn't want to listen, though. He couldn't hear it at that moment. 
<laughs> and then he, then he did exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. And then in his shame, he runs off and goes fishing, <laughs> you know. And Jesus had already told him, but when, when I restore you, basically, strengthen your brothers. The Bible teaches us that we, um, you know, blessed be the, Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in all our tribulations. And, and, and then it goes on to say that we may know how to comfort others with the same comfort by which we ourselves have been comforted. Amen. So as we're maturing, this is what we're, we're being built into. And it, need, it, it takes the word of God in your life to be able to um, sand those rough edges and smooth you out and polish you off so that you begin to reflect the image of Christ in your life as you deal with one another. So you have to be in the word of God. It's not an option. Your pastor's not saying, I really want you to, to, to read your word this week. That ain't what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you are, you, you are commanded to get into the word because it's the light into your, your, your path, lamp into your feet. It's what you hide in your heart that you do not sin against him. It's what washes you from, from, from the filth of life that we encounter. It's what encourages and builds you up in your most holy faith. It's the things that begin to, to give you wisdom for every aspect of your life every day. And we need wisdom every day. Amen? Amen? And so you need to be in the word of God if you call upon the name of Jesus. And I encourage you this week, get into it. Don't wait. Do it tonight before you go to bed. Get into it in the morning. You know, be victorious in your life. But being victorious is not something you stumble across. It's something you train for. You train for being victorious in Christ by allowing him to speak to you from the word every day. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be here. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, keep us, Lord God. Uh, be with us throughout the week, Lord. Lead us, guide us into the things that are necessary. Lord, I pray over those in this room, I pray over those that are watching online, that you would go before us, that you would cover our rear this week, that you would give us discernment, wisdom for every, every, every decision and every aspect of our lives. We love you. We thank you, Lord God for who you are, for what you've done, and for what's ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Amen.